This is Atlantic City. Atlantic City was kind of America on steroids. I didn't run for mayor of Atlantic City, I ran for governor of New Jersey. Was you know, another day in Atlantic City, <laughs> another crisis and things. This is the Atlantic City Story. From the Press of Atlantic City newsroom, this is the Atlantic City Story podcast. This episode features the return of managing editor Buzz Keel, who sat down with Nicholas Huba for one of his last shows on this podcast. On this week's show, we talk to Anthony Gowd, a former Disney executive and marketing person who has some really strong thoughts on Atlantic City and kind of the direction it needs to go if it wants to become that great city it once was. Stay with us to listen to the full conversation. You've heard about Atlantic City's rebound. Hard Rock is coming this summer and Revel should follow on its heels. Across the island, the half-billion-dollar gateway project is going to bring a college campus and corporate center to the island by the fall. Atlantic City's rebirth is underway, but it's not complete. For Atlantic City to capture the next generation of visitor, gambler, and resident, it has to shift its focus away from baby boomers to millennials. That group of 20 to 34-year-old has replaced the boomers and is reshaping the country and the economy. But take a look on the casino floor and the boardwalk, and you'll see it's not happening here. Track-suited baby boomers with diamond card privileges still rule and strategies for catering to younger audience are being developed, but slowly. So with us today is Anthony Gowd. Anthony grew up in Linwood. He went to work for Disney as a creative executive Mm -hmm. and an entrepreneur, and he left there to create his own companies. He's now focusing on esports and video gaming animation. Is that fair? Bringing a sense of um, esports and and new way of gambling. Okay. He's back in the area, and he's trying to get casinos interested in his projects. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> I'm interested in the tracksuit, actually, because what age do you get the tracksuit? That's, that's an image I've always seen when I, when I go down, especially in summer, fall. Where do you get them? I, I don't know where they get the them. Macy's? They're, they're made of plastic. And also with us is Nicholas, <laughs> Nicholas Yuba. Nicholas has been covering the casino industry for the last two years, and, and we've talked a lot on this program about tracksuits. millennials and, tracksuits. for the first time, tracksuits. <laughs> Yeah, one of the interesting things we were going over your bio was esports. Right. And I, I kind of want to start there, and I know we're kind of going away from the script a little bit. Caesars had a really successful event a couple last year. And Gears I went, of War. Yeah, Gears, Gears of War. It was amazing. I actually went, and I was kind of making fun of it in a way leading up to it. Oh, boy. And then when I got there, I was blown away by like the production value and everything. And Erin Grugan was a photographer, and she was a huge fan of esports going in, and it was something that really struck me about that that economics of that event. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that they need to really focus on bringing that back and kind of um, maybe bringing more of those type of events in? Well, it's funny because I, I my friend Chuck O'Shea, one of my best friends, was the producer of that game, which is the Gears of War 4 tournament they had in Caesars. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in July. And that drew a big crowd, bigger than most people expected. And what's surprising, I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine. Um, I think he's over 60. And the reason I bring that up is because at a dinner party, I brought up the fact that I was working with esports. And I'm actually talking to the NFL about bringing an esports league in and uh, working with others for the last couple of years, developing what I call casual esports, which I'll talk about if we get a chance. But the esports community... The esports phenomenon is much larger than most people can understand. So, for example, there's a game called Overwatch that came out uh, a couple of years ago, but this year, or within the last few months, Overwatch 
is a first-person shooter. You just shoot other people, but you have a lot of different characters, and it's done with the quality of a Disney Pixar film. So imagine a Disney Pixar film you can control with guns. And um, they started the Overwatch League, and the Overwatch League is a professional league. I think it's – I forget how many teams. I'm going to say 20 teams. International, there's some teams in, in, in London – Europe, there's teams in Asia, and there's 12 teams here. Philadelphia has a team, the Philadelphia Fusion. And even though it's the first year, on an average night, they will draw just a couple of thousand people less than an average NHL game. We've talked about this, and, and when you mentioned the esports and, and taking everybody by surprise, it, it took us, us by surprise, too. I think we had a uh, 20-something photographer tell us what a big deal this was and talk about Wembley Stadium in, in England Center, yeah. being, Center, just, yeah. just being uh, packed for, for these games. And, you know, it didn't disappoint. It, it was definitely – it looks like the, the future of, of entertainment. Maybe not gaming, but entertainment. Well, esports is the only sport that the participant in the sport kind of become mixed, right? So you are watching – and you're also viewing, and you're also participating. There's this very... It's interactive. In, in the, anyone can, you know, almost anyone, not almost anyone, but it, it, there's a higher chance that you can actually participate in it than in traditional professional sports, right? So my son, one of my sons plays Overwatch, and in his mind, I could be one of these guys. So it just opens up what sports is, but it opens it up to a much larger percentage of people than traditional sports do. Um, and it's huge. Like you mentioned, the O Center, um, they would. I think it was 173,000 attendance over three days, but 48 million streams. Right? We're talking a massive amount. Uh, these events are bigger than anything than than has come before, and it's going to take over. So, do we bring these into Atlantic Cities? Uh, to, into Atlantic City as a sport, as a, something people can watch, as a venue? Do we allow people to, to register and let them play to qualify to be in the big game in Atlantic City? Yeah, because that's what the millennials are doing. You know, do, we, do we find ways to bring the biggest sport there's going to be into Atlantic City? We have to. You we don't, we lose. You talk a lot, and, and, and you gave us a presentation that you're making regarding what millennials want right. in, in terms of gambling and entertainment. One of the things that seems to be a, a you know common theme is they want to be immersed in in the game. They don't want to play in a slot machine by themselves, pulling an arm or pushing a button. They want to be with friends and kind of taking part in a game collectively. Is how does that? What does that mean for the future of of casino or or gambling if if it's to be connected? Well, the interesting thing about esports is that it embodies everything that millennials want to do it's social it's immersive it follow you know the overwatch in particular has an app that gives you alerts for every game that's playing just like a the nfl app or any other professional sports app but wherever you are you can watch it live online on twitch or on youtube um you could potentially be in the sport you could buy all the licensing and shirts and, and uniforms you can visit the team in philadelphia you can watch player um, biographies on videos. So it's everything that millennials want, which is almost none of what Atlantic City is bringing, right? So almost none of these things are embodied in slot machine play. You talked about millennials wanting to be immersed in this kind of stuff. One of the things, they tried skill-based gaming, which was supposed to be kind of this be-all, end-all of 
bringing the millennials back to the casino floor where they had gone and they haven't been seen. But over the first year, Caesars had a bunch of machines pulled them out because they weren't making the revenue that they needed to cover, even cover the licensing fee with some of these companies. Is there a concern that we won't move in that direction until the economics of it continue to grow and we're going to miss out on this totally? Like no one's going to take the chance because that seems to be what happened with this East, the skill-based gaming right now, and that's a millennial. It's supposed to be a millennial thing. Well, let's, let's take a step. I want to address that. Um, actually, the company that uh, that is leading the way, a company called Gameco, yes, uh, it, led by Blaze. Blaine, Blaine <laughs> Graboids, which is a very nice guy. I speak to him just about every week now. Uh, very smart guy. But there's a problems with with what. I'm not going to say game code, but other companies are trying to do with skill-based gaming. But we have to first analyze what is it about slot games that isn't functional. So a slot game, for all the money they spend on research and development, for all the money they spend on fancy graphics and 3D displays, and now they have motion sensing, the game itself has never changed. The game itself is line up the reels. Sometimes you have fancy pictures, uh, licenses like you know, Sex in the City, Jurassic World, The Simpsons. You have all these different licenses, Game of Thrones. Uh, but essentially, the game doesn't change. So you're sitting there for hours on end, potentially, if you're a customer, experiencing the same thing over and over and over again, uh, which y- there is a psychology of what people enjoy by you know the anticipation of watching a slot machine and the results. But you're talking about Generation X and millennials who grew up with a much deeper experience from day one. And to them, this is the anathema of entertainment. This is not at all entertainment. This is a something you do with a loading screen and something you get very bored of very quickly. There's nothing there to keep you coming back. So if I'm playing a slot machine, if I'm playing that slot machine an hour later, it is exactly the same game. I didn't move anywhere. I didn't explore a new land. My character didn't progress. I don't have anything that went from... The, uh, zero state to a higher state because it's the same thing. And that's the basic issue with the slot machine is that they account for the majority of the casino's profits, the majority of the casino's space, and they are the Titanic. They're going to hit the wall because you were mentioning tracksuits earlier. That's who's playing it. And they don't attract a younger audience and they won't attract a younger audience. They never will attract a younger audience. And unless we change those games... But how how do we get to that point though? Because so, yeah. you, you make a there's a clear pro, that is their biggest money maker, and because because you can line them up, they're really maintenance free. You don't need a person there. Right. You kind of just let them print money basically. How do we get beyond that point, and where a casino takes the chance? Because that's what's going to take a ch- take that chance to kind of go all in on skill based gaming. Because you can only just put so many out there where people are like, okay, they only have two or three. Now, I don't think you go in all in on skill-based gaming, and I'll tell you why. So the issue with skill-based gaming, and this isn't really the fault of the companies making the games. The issue with skill-based gaming is, uh, I'll try to give you a metaphor so I don't single out any one company in particular. So in this game, you have to shoot ducks, right? And the ducks are certain colors. So the player goes into the game, and the game tells them, the more you shoot these ducks of this color, the better you'll do. But because the games are, um, they go through a commission and regulatory uh, inspections to randomize the results to some extent to make it fair. Your skill then gets deduced, I mean, reduced to 
being told at the end of the game that this, you shot 12 green ducks, but it was the red ducks you wanted to shoot. So what you end up with is you're using skill-based gaming, but randomizing the results or, or, or changing the results so the skill wasn't as effective or as it didn't get you money is what I'm saying. And you end up with a, a customer that's very angry because what was the point of me playing this game if I was just going to be told that I was wrong? And that's one of the things that millennials don't like is they don't trust corporations to begin with. So when you start a game and you end up have, being told that your skill is important, oh, no, it's not. We're, we're just kidding. It's not important. You're not going to play that game again. So when you play that game once or twice or three times, that's it. You know, there's a, there's a game a friend of mine was telling me about that he played this game that was similar to Hungry Hungry Hippos. So they put, they went to a trade show, and this game, if all three of us are playing it and you guys have your Hungry Hippos, you're getting coins. And whoever gets the most coins wins the round and wins the majority of the money. And the person he was with said, this is great, this is gonna do great on a casino floor. The other person said, no it's not. Later on they went to a casino floor that actually had the game, and somebody told him, don't play this game, it'll steal your money. So they played the game anyway because that was the point of them going to this casino. So they each put in, like, let's just say $10, $10, and $10. All of us put $30 in. I win all the games. I win all the coins. And what I get back is $8 because the house has to take their share of it. So I put in money. I won all the games. I should be getting your money from, log from my, my player logic tells me I should have your money or at least most of it. But I end up losing money. And that's how skill-based gaming is presently being rolled out. So once you play it a few times, you're going to feel like this is stealing my money, even if it is fun. Now change that. Go to Dave & Buster's. Right? Dave & Buster's, I, I had the fortune of doing a project for them last summer in 2017. Um, and Dave and & Buster's is a $1.5 billion a year profit uh, for, I think, 87 locations or something close to that. Um, and what they do is we know what we're offering you. You're going to come in, you have food, you have drinks, you have games. And you're going to win these red tickets when you play these games. These are a variety of games, all the driving games, shooting games, Pac-Man, you, you name it. Games that are arcade games with the, you know, the balls that bounce around. But we're working towards something. So I have uh, very good at driving games. I'm going to get a lot of coins here. This person's really good at fighting games. He's going to get a lot of these red tickets here. And at the end, we redeem them for like a $2 you know, toy monkey or something. But that toy monkey was something I worked for. And I could save my tickets and get the bigger toy monkey weeks from now to give me a long-term goal, right? And you know what? They're bringing in $120 a person per visit. What, you, what you're describing is a brand. Dave & Buster's is a brand. People know what they're going to get. when right. they, they know what to expect when they go to Dave & Buster's. Disney is a brand. Disney you, is a brand. You've worked at Disney, you, and you have experiences that I'd like to hear about later. But if Atlantic City was a brand right now, what's the brand? Well, Atlantic City, the brand is the tracksuit, right? Atlantic City, the brand right now is... is I don't know, IBM. I mean, it's not, it's not something that's very exciting. And I think part of the reason, you mentioned Disney. When you go to Disney, which my family does way too often, <laughs> way too often, when you go to Disney, Imagineers have taken a, a tremendous amount of time to make sure that every detail of every wall, every surface is something that tells a story. Whatever that story is, it's a frightening story, it's the Wild West, it's the world of tomorrow, whatever it is, Many people have pondered many hours over this wall, right? 
Uh, and the reason people go there, even though they've been there before, and it doesn't really change that much, is because you go on a ride and it tells you a story. And that story is something that makes you feel better. It maybe it connects with something from your childhood. It maybe it connects to something right now with your kids. The problem with, that we have in Atlantic City and, and other casino locations is they've become these very antiseptic, beautiful, they're like beautiful Starbucks. They're warm, they have chandeliers, they have nice well, leather, you know, leather seats and everything looks great, but they're also not telling any stories. So where am I? I don't know, I could, just, I could be anywhere. Uh, what's, what's going on in this environment? Well, I don't know. It's kind of bland. There's nothing really going on in this environment. So bringing in Disney Imagineering to these areas. For example, you could imagine an area in a casino that is the the kind of like the, the horror, not the horror, but sort of like, a, you know, Disney does the uh, the Haunted Mansion. Right, so the haunted part of the casino. So all the accoutrements are there. You have people dressed up in funny outfits. The music, the lights, ghosts are coming around. And all the machines are themed to that event. So when you go to this part, there is a story being told that the software and the physical location and even to some extent the entertainment is all working in tandem to tell, create an environment that people want to be part of. And the one thing that millennials really want to do is tell people what they're doing. So Dave and Buster's creates their business in what they call Instagrammable moments. Look, I'm doing this, and you stand in front of a mm -hmm. 3,000 tickets you just won, or look at this great food that was arranged specifically to take pictures of, and these drinks that look like, you know, they're way too colorful to actually exist. But that's what you have to do to bring the, this crowd in. You said Atlantic City's brand is the tracksuit. <laughs> it has been. It has been. Is it just the fact they aren't a brand? Like, it isn't a brand anymore. It's just another city that offers gaming. Well, you know, Buzz mentioned it earlier before we started speaking about Atlantic City being the brand in the 30s and 40s, right? Being the brand, you know, the Sinatra and the, 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 the Summer Times and the Jersey Boys. I mean, there was a brand there that was a lot of fun for a lot of people for a long time that people... Yeah, you know, Boardwalk Empire, that, that sort of... That's a brand. Yeah, all that stuff Except is Except you don't see it... When you get to Atlantic it's City, gone. it's gone. It's a gone brand. It, it's, a, it's a brand that hasn't been utilized. And I think for Atlantic City to, you, uh, even though it failed, the Revel had the right idea. Open up the beach, right? We're, we're at the beach. We're the only casino city in the world that has a beach. This has to be part of the experience. You know, that's interesting because Revel did have probably one of the most active Instagram accounts. People would, and it was the pool right next to the right. beach. And it was the, was it HTO? H2O, the, yeah. The but, it, but that that seemed to be generationally where people would take photos and, and kind of memories, as you're talking about. But in, but in turn with Revel, what became the issue was it didn't cater to the tracksuit crowd. In a lot of ways, like it, the gaming floor was on the third floor and all these things. And, and while Revel had it the best, they kind of, fa I guess, failed at it in a lot of other ways. But the game is still with the tracksuit games. True. That's but, the issue. But if they were so good at it, I wonder why. We all know, I guess, it kind of because of the finances. But it's interesting. They tried that model and didn't work, you know, and they, they went bankrupt. Well, I don't know if you could say they'd successfully try that model because if you're going to bring in millennials – they did have some nice restaurants. Mm -hmm. They had, um, uh, but the restaurants are not going to 
save the bottom line for a casino with that huge amount of debt that it had. I mean, that was that was its undoing. I don't know if it's fair to say that their strategy, had the debt been removed from that strategy, wouldn't have worked. Would, yeah. would it be successful if if the casinos were to brand themselves individually? Or are we talking about a city problem? Does Atlantic City need to come up with its brand, or is it enough if Hard Rock comes in and, and establishes itself? And and what does Vegas do? Is a city where everything happens? Vegas, Vegas is Vegas. Vegas, 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 is Vegas is a brand. Vegas is a brand. We used to be a brand. Um, a Hard Rock will come in and establish their brand. That's not going to help the other casinos necessarily. That was my next question. Hard Rock's whole mantra is the brand, the brand, the brand. Right. Like it, up until Jim Allen talking about Instagram hits and all this kind of stuff. Are they good enough to help develop the brand? They'll be a brand themselves in, in the region, but can, is their brand strong enough to basically kind of work out and develop a whole brand for the city? I, I don't know. I think they're doing a lot of things the right way. I mean, I have spoken to a lot of uh, uh, people that are – from the Hard Rock, and they have the right ideas. Whether or not the other casinos fall in line is another another story. And I think part of the issue that I see with Atlantic City, all of us see at Atlantic City, is the casinos are very corporate, mm-hmm. right? And corporate is, we mentioned earlier that millennials don't trust corporations, right? So the more corporate you are, less brand-driven you are, the least amount of affection you're going to have uh, from that crowd. So it used to be we had the Playboy, we had themes. Remember, we had the Wild West, we had you know the Roman Empire. We had you know, so we used to we started off with those themes. We moved away from them in the safer corporate environments. But the 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 simple story is we have to change the experiences inside the casinos. You know, gambling is not going to go away. If you look at Battlefront 2, Star Wars Battlefront 2, right? It is a, a, a game that has these things called uh, loot boxes in it, right? And loot boxes are basically these randomized prizes you get when you pay coins or sometimes real money, in-game coins are real money, and you get a randomized prize. Their direct predecessor were uh, a series of uh, mechanisms called Gachapon in Asia. Gachapon was the same thing. You paid some money, you got a reward, and this reward you could use in a larger experience. Gachapon became so incredibly popular, or addicting, as you want to say it, that Japan had to regulate it in, in mobile games because they, people were spending enormous amounts of money. So the idea that millennials won't gamble, which I hear a lot too, is just wrong. They will gamble, but what they do is very different. I mean, look at DraftKings. That's a very different kind of gambling that they are all over that. What do you think Atlantic City needs to learn from Disney? You, were, you worked with Disney. You were kind of immersed in their culture, I imagine. Um, what are the points from Disney that Atlantic City needs to take and kind of adopt? I think they have to adopt the storytelling aspects of it. So when someone comes into a casino, what is it that we're being uh, shown? When you go to you know, Las Vegas, you go to that, you know that mall that Caesars has. It looks like you're outdoors. I mean, Caesars has that here, but to a lower extent, to a less extent. I want to go somewhere that I can tell my friends where I was. Right? That's, that's the whole thing now. Where were you? Well, here, look at the picture of this, and I was at this place. It was great. When you go to a casino, can you say that? Can you say, I was at a casino and I saw this. What is the this? I saw a thousand slot machines, mm-hmm. right? I was at the casino and I played this game and I got to this level. Well, you didn't because the games don't have levels. 
mm-hmm. right? I was at a casino and I saw this esports event, and I, could, I and I even tried out for. Well, no, you didn't because that doesn't exist, right? So these things have to be brought here, and aggressively, they can't be phased. And you said earlier, if someone takes a chance, well, the chance is not doing it. Because if they don't do it, and if the Hard Rock does it, then the other casinos will scramble afterwards and, and, and just do it in a bad way. The chance – but there's going to be a revenue loss for a short period of time, though. Like I, from, from trying something new. Trying something new. Like It always isn't the first person to try something new. It's always the next couple that kind of succeed on it. And I just don't see I, – I don't see right now – the movement by a lot of these properties, maybe what's going on kind of reminds me a little bit of what happened when Borgata came. Right. Borgata made Tropicana be who they are today. Yes. In a lot of ways. They changed them. They changed them. And even if you talk to people at Tropicana, like Steve Collender, he'll even say, like, they made them up their game in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. And I wonder if Hard Rock's brand makes makes the rest of the casino properties address this issue and maybe try to get more into storytelling. Because the storytelling at... At Hard Rock, is basically it's music, it's different themed music, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they've been able to successfully do that around the world. And I wonder if people look at that and go, all right, maybe we can move in that direction and try to be a brand, be a bigger brand than they are. I, I don't know how it's possible at some of these places. There was a friend of mine who worked at a very large slot machine manufacturer. And I had asked him, why don't you do any sports-themed slot machines? Because you would think, like, well, that should be one of the themes, right? And he said, well, years ago, somebody made a sports-themed slot machine, and it didn't do very well. So anytime somebody brings it up, that one machine gets brought they up. They say, we did that. We yeah. did we that, tried it didn't that. work. And it failed. Right. right Now, you could use the same exact argument for Apple. You could use the same exact argument for a million companies that had their first product that wasn't as successful as previous products, but then their second, third, fourth product tore it up. I think we need, honestly, bravery. It is not the short – you have to think long picture. You can't think, well, you know, Q4 is going to have a 5% dip, and we can't have that, so we're not making any changes. Because Q4, three years from now, we'll have a 30% dip. Well, you're talking about culture, too. Culture, startup culture is fail, fail often, fail early, and, 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 learn. To, and learn. And I think legacy corporate culture is don't fail. The guy who fails is the guy who's out on his seat the next day. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what else is funny? My dad worked in the casino industry for a very long time, right? So he started uh, resorts back in 78, and he just retired a year ago. And he said, look, the problem you're going to have, Anthony, is casino people hire other casino people. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, you can't, yeah. out in it, you can't innovate yourself. You're inside the bubble. You need to bring someone from outside to change things up. And the casinos don't usually do that. Well, you talk about branding and, and all that kind of stuff and changing things up. You talk about resorts where your dad worked. My dad started it. Yeah. They've been able to take advantage of that, I think, with the the Margaritaville concept. They built a good image for themselves, a a distinct one, I said. Like, like you go in that area, and it's themed in Jimmy Buffett, and I'm a a parrot head, so it it fits me perfectly. But, like, they've been able to take take that, like, kind of brand and make it part of that culture, what you were talking about earlier. Do you think their success will show other people if we do this kind of stuff? Maybe you can do it. But they were also – that was probably one of the things that saved them in a way too. They were at the bottom when they went into all that. Well, it's funny because you're right. One of the things that made resorts – before they added those elements, who was resorts? All right? It was Merv Griffin's resorts at one point. I don't even know what that means. You know, but, yeah, that was a very old show. And they were minutes away. Like really, they were on – if you tell people now how successful they were from back then, they'd be like they'd be gone. 
Like a lot of yeah. people thought they were going away before all that. And now they kind of have this really fun, like smaller property. Like it's, and I wonder because they took that chance as do others look and go, okay, let's try this chance now. Well, how do you, how do you, I'm an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. I, I try a lot of chances and, and they don't always work as uh, Buzz and I discussed earlier. <laughs> they don't always work. Um, but, you know, I launched the Video On Demand channel in 2006, 2007. And when I tried to get investors on board, I said, you know, there's this thing called Video On Demand. And instead of watching TV randomly, when it, you know, whatever the news networks want to put on, you will know exactly how many people watched your show. And you will have an accurate ad count. Not an estimate, but an accurate ad count. A viewer count. Nobody was interested. And Isn't that to, Netflix now? It is Netflix now. <laughs> Oh, but it's also Comcast. Comcast on demand. Right. And actually, that it was with Comcast. No, Matt Strauss and, and Paige you're Thompson. too early. But, well, you know what? It's in 60 million homes now, Cavillion. Yeah. So it, it was early. Uh, and we did some things that, you know, uh, we made some partnerships that were beneficial. It took years for Cavillion to become profitable. And now the CPM rate is the inverse of the network rate. So we have a much higher CPM rate for VOD than we do for network TV, which is cost per thousands of, of viewers for advertisements. So now we can charge more for advertising than networks can. But 10 years ago, I was insane. Nobody believed me. Yeah. We're in the same situation now with casinos and slot machines that the music industry was 12 years ago when iTunes said, you know what? We don't need physical discs anymore. We don't, we don't need these things we have digital storage and that's how we're going to download the the individual um, songs and the industry said no we want to sell the album because that's a bigger profit line and that's how we make our money and Apple said well you're either with us or against us and those who were against them saw significant losses it's the same thing with the casino industry you're going to have casinos that want to stay the same way and unfortunately um, that Mentality, the slot machine, again, rem- reminding everyone that slot machines drive the majority of casino profits and that online games are starting to steal from the physical locations for casinos. If this problem isn't addressed, if the, the problem of experiential uh, visitation and creating new experiences with gaming isn't addressed, there's nothing that can save the casino. One of the things we talked about on the way up here and, and, and didn't make it on the air, but I'll say it here, was the lack of like leadership in the sense that one or several people were, were in charge. Um, and that seems to be a common theme. We've heard from developers, other elected officials, politic- politicians, that there's no, there, there's no there there. There's no, here's the person you talk to to get something done. Mm. Put together your dream team, if you could, to transform Atlantic City. Who would you have? Oh, myself. <laughs> but, you know, you need someone. For starters, right. You, you know, um, Marvel films, right? So Marvel and DC are arch rivals in the movie industry, right? But only one is doing really well. The other one is struggling. And the reason for that is because Kevin Feige, Feige? for Marvel, uh, the person that runs Marvel, um, has decided that, you know what, we're going to create all these movies in what we call the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're all separate, but there's a bigger picture, right, which is kind of similar to what the casinos are. They're all separate, but there's a bigger picture. In this case, it's Atlantic City and the history of Atlantic City. And what Kevin Feige, I'll say Feige, it could be Feige, 
has done is create a tape a tapestry where each individual story can succeed but they all kind of help each other too so if you watch black panther which is fantastic there are elements of black panther that were shown in avengers 2 elements that were shown in previous films and all the characters kind of jump in and out of the films um, and what it's done is it's create this ecosystem that helps everyone so if i was going to create a dream team uh I think it's the philosophies that I like. So, you, you know, you bring in someone like Bob Iger, who runs Disney right now, someone, uh, well, Steve Jobs, right? Because you have to take risks. And I think that's the issue, that you have to take risks. So you need risk takers and you need people that know how to run, assign large divisions to people that know what they're doing, like Bob Iger does. So he's assigned the parks division. He's assigned the movie division with people that know what they're doing. Kathleen Kennedy knows what she's doing. People may not like some of the Star Wars choices, but they're making a lot of money. Um, so we need to bring in people that can make choices and be allowed to make those choices, but people that can take risks. Now, here's what's the bigger risk? That you don't make any change, and when the tracksuit crowd ages out, you have nothing to show for it or that you make a big change and it's become a, it's become a thing with the tracksuit. Right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a new, uh, it's a new thing. Or, you know, it's not like a casino has to wholeheartedly change 100% of their existence. If the Tropicana wanted to start out slowly by putting in a couple of zones or one zone you know, in, in what used to be a, a restaurant location, that's a way to test it out. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Right? And if it works, expand it. But learn from it. Right, learn from it, and I think that's that spirit is is missing. Everyone's so worried to fail that they're not trying anything new. You know, now my wife would tell you, maybe we should have tried less things new because they don't always work. <laughs> but as I will shoot back, but when they work, they really work, right? And when they work, it changes a lot of things. Good story. We're here with Emmy Award-winning business executive, creative director, and entrepreneur, Anthony Gowd. Anthony is a former Disney executive. He's returned to the area, and he has visions for turning Atlantic City into a, a, a city that not only is friendly to, but attracts millennials, because this is the, the next wave of the, the city's economic future. Anthony, just one question. You grew up in Atlantic County. Yep. I imagine Atlantic City was something, while well, you didn't grow up there that, that was on your horizon. What, what were your early impressions of the city and, and, and memories? Well, it was exciting because my dad worked at, um, my dad worked at Playboy. Um, and after that, he worked at Tropicana, the Trop at the time, right? And it was, you know, the crowds were busy. You remember the fights they would have on national TV and people driving in limousines and mm -hmm. all those things are great. And I grew up with Atlantic City being a shining jewel and I don't want to be down I don't want to oh there's no chance that this is going to be I think there is a chance and the reason I'm on this show and talking like a fool in front of people that don't always understand what I'm saying is because we have to try we have to try and tell people about this stuff right and, and if we again what's the option that we don't do anything mm -hmm. so do I think Atlantic City can go back to that yes I do we are a city that has a unique location. You mentioned Stockton being maybe a base for bringing in 
younger uh, age, age group people that are here on a permanent basis, semi-permanent basis. You know, the beaches, Ventnor, Wildwood, Ocean City, these places are not unpopular. Mm-hmm. So it's not like we're starting with zero. We're starting with something that if we just take advantage of it, we can really, really clean up. And I think that I do want, you know, obviously I want someone to listen to my ideas, but I want someone to listen to anybody's ideas that are different. And we need to, to, to focus on it being a destination where it isn't just, oh, go to the Hard Rock or go to the Borgata. It's come to Atlantic City. There's so much stuff to do because I can tell you right now, go to Vegas. Well, put 30 different things in your head as to what that is, right? You said something really interesting that just struck me. You don't go to Vegas and tell people you went to the Bellagio. Right. You went to Vegas. You went to Vegas. And when you come to Atlantic City, I went to Caesars. I went to Borgata. Like the name, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the name is almost brandless in a way. And I think that's the biggest issue. Like, you know, you talk about the Vegas slogan. Atlantic City is like, what's its slogan now? And I think that's what needs to be really redeveloped. And if that means changing everything, I mean changing everything, but it has to become a brand again before we get to kind of moving forward with everything. You know, you have, we talked about esports earlier. Mm-hmm. So one of the initiatives that I've been working on is creating what I call casual esports. Esports is based on, right now, being really good at Twitch gaming. You have to be good with Really your, skilled. Yeah. Skilled with your hands. Yep. But what if we changed that metaphor so it was decisions that you made that uh, decided whether success or failure. So for example, you're playing a game, let's say a slot game, and on top of that slot game is a football game. And the slot machine rolls, you get coins, you use those coins to upgrade your offensive line, mm-hmm. and the slot machine is, um, has symbols on it that if you hit pass or run, will determine the success or failure of that play. So what we've created now is a game on top of a standard slot game, but that game is something that's entertaining in, a, in two different forms. One, I can play against you, so now we have com- competition. Two, the choices that I made, I got a, you know, I got a great backup, a Nick Foles backup. And even though you took out my starting quarterback, I have this backup. Uh, and I'm going to beat you. And you put money into your running backs, uh, but I have a really good defensive line. Right? So these are decisions that we're making that are on top of a standard slot game. But now the casino can say, okay, Monday through Thursday, we're going to have quali- qualifiers for people to play on Friday and Saturday's events. And Fridays and Saturday's events... It's a $1,000 competition, right? Every hour, $1,000 is given for the team that can take out the casino's home team, right? You can make this up in different games a thousand different ways, but that's what you need to do because if you don't do that, then it's just the same boring slot game, you know? So I I think you can do it, and I think you have to bring the esports games into Atlantic City in a massive way. You cannot have, you can't, Atlantic City should be the esports city. It should be Atlantic City. Right, because it's a it's there, right now. Vegas just created an esports arena. I think they're launching it next week yeah. or very soon. Um, and esports arenas are one way to accomplish that. I mean, but it, we have New York City, we have Philadelphia, and to some extent DC. If we were an esports capital, you would have people here for three day events, four day events, right? We're talking about the O Center, mm-hmm. one hundred and seventy three thousand people. Well, they all got to stay somewhere. They all got to eat somewhere. They're here for the whole weekend, right? Three days, four days. Forget about, you know, conventions. This is the exact target demographic you want. 
they have money to spend and they want to have a good time with their friends. It's, it's uh, I don't want to say an obvious solution, but it's a solution everyone should work toward. Now, we can combine the arenas and the viewership like we did with Caesars with actual, like we, the little competition we just mentioned with the slot machines being esports, light, casual esports, then we have something that can sustain itself, you know, that a lot of other places are not going to be able to do. And why not have Caesars versus Borgata? Why not have all these casinos create competitions among themselves? We're here with Anthony Goud. Anthony is a business exec creative director. He has ideas for Atlantic City, and he's been sharing with uh, them with us today, and I imagine we'll be hearing from him again as he tries to help Atlantic City change its brand and, and become more attractive to millennials. Anthony, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you for inviting me here. It was a lot of fun. That just about wraps up your interview with Anthony. Um, Nick, what were your thoughts following that conversation you guys had? I thought the one really interesting thing he said when we were talking about you know, the brand of Atlantic City and how it's almost like brandless in a way. You know, you think of a way to attract millennials, you need a brand. And really, what is Atlantic City's brand? You know, we joked on the sh on during the interview about um, the senior citizens wearing tracksuits. That was a very popular theme of the whole, sh whole thing. But really, when you think of Atlantic City, you never say you're going to Atlantic City. You say you're going to Borgata or P Hard Rock in the Future or Tropicana. But if you go to Vegas, you say you're going to Vegas, not the Bellagio or Circa Circa. So I think that's one of the biggest things I took away was the Atlantic City brand is really at a low point right now. And maybe that's what we need. The city needs to kind of rejuvenate itself overall. Yeah, a lot of what he talked about um, when I listened to your interview uh, was esports and the idea of skill-based gaming. And what I think is interesting is uh, skill-based gaming's tried in Atlantic City, right? And failed. So... They, Caesars had it for a little bit, and basically it wasn't making enough money to cover the um, the licensing fee on the machine. So they took them out. And, and during the conversation, you'll under, there's a couple things that kind of stand out. Someone's got to take a risk, you know. Or there will be no changes. Or, or there will be no changes. And I think that's one of the things Atlantic City has to do. This concludes our episode for this week. Please join us next week on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, and of course at PressofAC.com.